Perhaps before we start as well, we could pray for Israel and Jewish people. If you may know, tonight is the second day of Rosh Hashanah, just coming to an end at this time, actually, uh, Jewish New Year, followed by 10 awesome days, the days of awe, in which Jewish people are told to repent and to get right with God, put right any things wrong in their past, in preparation for the Day of Atonement, which is in 10 days' time, when they will pray and fast in the synagogue uh, in the hope that their sins will be forgiven. But as I was saying this morning, one thing is missing, which is the blood of atonement. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. It's the blood that makes atonement for our souls. So we can pray that Jewish people might be led to consider these things and to consider that they need Yeshua, his blood, his salvation, to bring them to faith in him. So let's just pray for... Israel, and for the Jewish people. <clears throat> Lord, we do commit to your people Israel to you, and we do pray, Lord, that you would speak to them at this time, and as they prepare for the next 10 days in which they're told to be seeking you for repentance and for salvation, Lord, that you show them that they need the blood of atonement through Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah, and that at this time you'd bring remembrance of things they may have heard for, about Jesus, Yeshua, and pray for the salvation of the people of Israel through Yeshua, our Messiah. Amen. 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 So, you ready for recording now? Okay. So we're going to look at Isaiah 51. <coughs> we will put it up on the screen, but if you have got your Bibles, you want to follow in the Bible, Isaiah chapter 51. If you've been coming for a while, you know we've been going through Isaiah at a somewhat slow pace. Maybe before the Lord comes, we'll finish it. Hopefully, we'll get to chapter 53 by next week. No, not next, not next time, the time after next. But tonight, we're on chapter 51. I'm going to read the first 16 verses. So Isaiah 51 speaks of God's righteousness and God's salvation. Isaiah 51, verse 1. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, who seek the Lord... Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. For the Lord will comfort Zion, he will comfort all their waste, her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden, and her desert like the Garden of Eden. Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving, and the voice of melody. Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. For law will proceed from me, and I will make justice rest as the light of the peoples. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth beneath. For the heavens will vanish away like smoke, the earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults, for the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in ancient days, as in generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? 
Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of man who will be made like grass? And you forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he has prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed, that he should not die in the pit, and that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. I have put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand that I may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Isaiah 51 obviously follows on from Isaiah 50. And if you're with us when we did Isaiah 50, you may know that it contains one of the servant songs, which are prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, which tie up with the coming of Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, in verse 4 of chapter 50, we read these words. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak, that I should know a word in season to him who is weary, he awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I've set my face like a flint and I know that I will not be ashamed. Prophecy which speaks about the Messiah speaks about the Messiah being awakened morning by morning in constant contact with the Lord God, the Father, in communication all the time that he was here on the earth. It says that he gave his back to those who struck him, a picture of the sufferings of the Messiah, which you read about in the Gospels as Jesus was taken before the trial of Pontius Pilate and was flogged and had the crown of thorns put on his head, was taken to the cross to suffer and to die as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. And even in his shame, it says that the Lord God will help him. He'll accomplish the work of uh, redemption and be vindicated through the resurrection. And it says also that I've set my face like a flint. In other words, he has sent gone with determination. As we saw when we looked at this in the Gospels, we read how Jesus set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He wouldn't let his enemies turn him back. He wouldn't let his friends turn him back. And he wouldn't let his own feelings turn him back because he knew that was the purpose which he'd come to be the servant of the Lord, to suffer, to die, to be the sacrifice, uh, and to be the Messiah of Isaiah in this chapter and also in chapter 53. We also saw when we looked at this that there is a response which is made in Isaiah 50, that God wants us to respond to this message. Uh, verse 10 of Isaiah 50 says, "'Who among you fears the Lord? "'Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks you have kindled. This you shall have for my hand. You shall lie down in torment. Look at those verses. They give you two responses to the servant. 
either rejection or faith. Dismissal of the servant or obedience and faith to the servant. Either they condemn him as an evildoer or justify him by faith. And if they condemn, if you condemn and if they're opposed, be his adversary, then there's a warning that those who oppose, who are adverse to him, will be devoured. They'll grow old like a garment, and they'll be thrown away like a moth and be eaten up. In other words, the opposition may be great at the time, but it'll come to nothing. And today, if you look around, you see many antichrist forces in the world today who are coming against the faith in Jesus. And they may seem to be very powerful. They may be much more than we are. And yet, however powerful they are, in the end, they're going to come to nothing. When God comes and when Jesus comes, he's going to uh, destroy all of their power. They may have their brief day and then be destroyed. But the believers in the Messiah will be justified. So you've got a choice here. Choice which Isaiah puts before us and a choice which God puts before us today. Choice is to fear the Lord, to obey the voice of his servant. Don't walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I wonder if Jesus was thinking of these words from Isaiah when he made his famous statement in John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. So if you want to walk in the light, you want to have the light of life, follow Jesus. Don't follow your own ideas and don't follow your own God. Talks about kindling a fire, making sparks. I uh, don't think he's talking there about having a barbecue. Talking about worshipping false idols, false gods, lighting a false fire, leading to spiritual darkness. And he says that this fire is going to cause you to lie down in torment. Talks about hell, in fact, the lake of fire. And today, the vast majority of the world are actually worshipping false gods, or gods they've made up, or no gods. And behind those gods, there are demons. Don't worship those gods because they're going to lead you to the fire. I was listening this afternoon, actually, to a talk by a man called Carl Tightrib. don't know if you've heard of him. He's a very good preacher. And he was preaching about this um, Burning Man Festival. Have you heard of that in America? A terrible pagan thing which they go in the desert and they put up this man and they burn him. Not a, not a real man, a statue of a man. And it's, it's really demonic and pagan. And this year, actually, it was flooded with torrential rain and the whole thing was washed out and they couldn't actually even do the burning I don't think but it was like God put a judgment upon it but he was saying about today's culture and how there is a, a distinction between two world views if you like <clears throat> two world views on God on the nature of humanity and on who we are one is what he called monism that means that all is one that God and nature and humans and everything created is all one. We're all part of one uh, existence. We need to find our oneness in God or in what they call God. Uh, <clears throat> all is one. And it's the view which is behind yoga, behind New Age, and behind Eastern religions, and behind the modern relativistic uh, morality. And it's a war with the biblical view that God is the creator who is separate from his creation which is what Isaiah is speaking about right through, that there's God who has made the world, heavens and the earth, there's the creation, and the two are separate. They can't be brought together as one. And if you have the monistic idea, the idea that all is one, then basically it takes away the authority of God to give commandments and to tell us how to live. And you can end up doing what you want to do. So if you want to believe that a man can marry a man and that a boy can become a girl and that uh, all gods are equal, 
doesn't make any difference. You can believe that. You can make it up as you go along because there's no absolutes. There's no God. There's no morality. And that's one of the issues which you have right the way through this passage in Isaiah. The difference between the God who made us and the gods who we have made, the gods who've been made up. And if you make up a God, it ends up with paganism, with things which are going to lead you not to God, but away from God. And the Bible tells us very clearly that God is the creator. He made the heavens and the earth. And if he's the creator, then he has the right to make laws, to tell us how to live, and to judge us according to how we live by those laws. And <clears throat> also, if he is the creator, which he is, he's going to make a way in which he can save us from the penalty of not keeping his laws, not keeping his judgments, which he's done in the person of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And so there's a whole difference between how you view God, and it comes out in this passage, and it comes out right through Isaiah, and we can see it being translated into our world today. And so he tells us not to make up our gods, not to have gods who we make up, but to believe in the God who made us, who's given us his laws, and to live according to his ways. And this brings us into chapter 51, where he says, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord, look to the rock from which you were hewn, and the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father, and to Sarah who bore you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. So look to the rock from which you were hewn. So what does that actually mean? Uh, now from the point of view of Isaiah, he's talking to Jewish people, uh, probably 700 years before Jesus has come. He has intimations about the coming of the Messiah, but for the people he's writing to, he can't tell them look to Jesus because Jesus hasn't come yet. So he says, look to the originator, the form founder of your faith. Look back to Abraham. And Abraham, he says, was one when I called him. God called him when he was one and he increased him. Now one of the distinctive points about Abraham was he became a worshipper of the one true God. And believing in one God, he also rejected the idea that there were many gods, rejected the whole pagan system of Babylon. <clears throat> and because God had chosen him and because he was faithful, God said that he was going to be the father of a multitude of nations, of Israel and also of, even of a multitude of nations. He said, no longer shall your name be called Abram, which means exalted father, but your name shall be called Abraham, father of a multitude, for I've made you a father of many nations. And when we look about Abraham and the fact that he's called alone and then became many people, it should remind us that God actually doesn't need a great multitude of people to do a great work. He needs one person or more people who are faithful to him. And if one person is faithful, then he can do great things through that one person who is faithful to him, as he did through Abraham. And the same applies to us. We can look back to Yeshua as the one who brought us into being as a people. We may be a small people numerically, but God can do great things even through us as a small people because we are his chosen people and we are able to be witnesses to the Messiah. Now he goes on to speak about Abraham and Sarah. He says that Abraham is the father of the faithful. He's the patriarch of Israel. He said he's the one who came to believe that there's one God, not many gods. Also, he came to understand that he was justified by his faith. Go to Genesis chapter 15 and we read that God gave promises to Abraham and it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, which becomes a whole justification by faith idea, which Paul teaches in the book of Romans. 
that we're saved by our faith in what God has done for us, what God tells us, uh, in our case, through believing that Jesus has died to save us and risen from the dead, saved by faith. And because of his faith, Abraham also saw into the future. And Jesus says of Abraham, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So Jesus claims that Abraham actually saw Jesus' day in John chapter 8, verse 56. So Abraham, as a prophet, had revelation of the coming of the Messiah. And we see actually that Abraham acted out the whole parallel, if you like, of the death and resurrection of Jesus, the father giving his only son to die as a sacrifice, and then having him raised up from the dead, coming back to life in the whole story of the binding of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, where God, he's offered by Abraham, Isaac is offered by Abraham as a sacrifice at the command of God and then giving back to him in the type of the resurrection. So Abraham saw Jesus' day and Abraham saw many things which relate to the new covenant. So God could t- Isaac, Isaiah could tell the people of his day to look back to Abraham. We can look back to Abraham, but as we look back to Abraham, we also look back to Yeshua, who Abraham also bore witness to. He also speaks about the pit from which you were dug, which sounds a bit rude, but uh, some have interpreted that to mean the womb of Sarah. Uh, Sarah was barren, and yet she gave birth to the child of promise, to Isaac, a supernatural birth. And you have a parallel there with the birth of Yeshua. Uh, Two supernatural births, one of Sarah, who was barren, who then gave birth to a child in her very old age, over 90. She gave birth to the child, Isaac, the child of promise. And we have Miriam, a young girl, virgin, and she gave birth supernaturally to Yeshua, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of these miraculous births, we have the purpose of God coming into being. And coming back to Isaiah, it says in verse uh, (coughs) 4, it says that the result will be that my salvation will be forever. My righteousness will not be abolished. And going on back in Isaiah, it says that as a result of this, we need to listen to the Lord. And God says that to us today. We need to listen to what God is saying. Uh, Listen to me, O my people. Give ear to me, O my nation. For the law will proceed from me, and I will make justice, my justice rest as a light to the peoples. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. My arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait upon me, and on my arm they will trust. So he's saying here, you listen to me because I am the God who's given you the law, which you're supposed to live by, I've also given you my righteousness and my salvation. Look at that in Hebrew, my salvation is my Yeshua. So my Yeshua, my Jesus has gone forth. So he's again another prophecy speaking of the one who's going to bring us to God's righteousness, which we don't have on ourselves, but we have through faith in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And he looks a bit beyond that. He says, the coastlands will wait upon me, on my arm they will trust. What does he mean by the coastlands? When you find the word coastlands in the prophets, he's talking about nations which were beyond the orbit of the prophets. So they knew about Egypt, they knew about Syria, they knew about the countries round about them, but there were countries they didn't know about, like Great Britain 
United States of America, Australia, all those countries around the world which existed at that time, but they didn't know the names, so they just called them the coastlands or the Isles of the Sea. He's saying that these countries which are far off, which don't know my name, there's a come when they're going to know my name, going to know about my salvation. And praise God, you and I are a testimony to that being true, aren't we? We come from nations, different parts of the world, and yet we've come to faith in Yeshua, in Jesus the Messiah, and therefore we're a fulfillment, if you like, of this prophecy of the Messiah coming and bringing salvation to the peoples. Then in verse 6, he goes even further ahead. He says, lift up your eyes to the heavens and look on the earth, for the heavens will vanish away like smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it die like, in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will not be abolished. He looks even further ahead to a time when the present heavens and the present earth will be gone. They're going to vanish like smoke, grow old like a garment. Now, if God is the creator of the universe, he can also bring it to an end. He can bring an end to the universe and an end to the earth and everything that dwells in it. A lot of people are worried that sometime humans are going to make an end to the world. And in some ways, some of the follies and the stupid things which people are doing today could bring an end to life on earth. But in the end, God's going to bring an end to it because God has it under his control. But he says there is a day coming when God's going to bring an end not just to this present earth, but to the entire universe. It says the earth grows old like a garment. It's also a quote from Psalm 102, which says something similar. It says, of old, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. So the Bible tells us that this present world, this present universe, is not permanent. It's not going to be here forever. It's going to be a time when God, who made both the heavens and the earth, will one day roll them up, and there'll be no more. Then it says you're going to create a new heavens and a new earth. So if God can bring this heavens and this earth to an end, he can make a new one. And the big question is, who goes into the new heavens and the new earth? That's why we have to listen to God. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse says, uh, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements which will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for, <coughs> looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God's telling us in both the Old and the New Testament that there's going to be a day when this heavens, this earth is going to be burned up and God's going to make a new one. Could be a bit frightening. Uh, that'll be the ultimate bit of global warming when God actually burns up this earth and this universe. Now, what is interesting, if you look at this passage, it says, he will make new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. So if you want to get into the new heavens and new earth, you have to be righteous. Yeah? Are you righteous? Do we have enough righteousness to get in? The problem of the human race is that we don't, that we all come short of the glory of God, that none is righteous, no, not one. 
all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, to get into the new heavens and new earth, we have to have a righteousness which is imputed to us by the one who himself is totally righteous and who gave his life as a sacrifice for the sin of the world. In other words, Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. Comes back to faith. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. We believe God that Jesus died and rose from the dead. It's imputed to us for righteousness. If you want an entrance key to get into the new heavens and the earth, don't come to God with all your good deeds. Come to God with your faith in Jesus, the Messiah, who died for you and rose from the dead, who paid the price for your sins so that you have then the entrance into that new heavens and new earth. And it's worth getting there, by the way. We also find that Jesus is the one who is the creator and also is holding it all together. God created the heavens and the earth through the word of God. And the word of God is the Messiah, who is Yeshua. Book of Colossians, chapter 1, it says, For him, by him, all things were created, that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, <coughs> or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Uh, the NIV says all things are held together, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. They're telling you there that Jesus is not just a prophet or a good man. He is the one who was there from the beginning. He's the one who is there at the creation. He's the one who's redeemed you through his blood. And he's also the one who's holding it together. Notice that little phrase, in him all things consist or are held together. Uh, one of the things which scientists have discovered is that atoms have a positive and a negative force within them. And they've said that actually these atoms should fly apart, but there's something which is holding them together. And so we called the thing which is holding them together the Colossian force from this verse, that somehow God is holding everything together, everything that's made. The atoms in your body, the atoms in this chair and this hall in the earth and in the whole universe. Now, one thing which it says, if God was actually to remove that force, everything would fall apart, be burned up in a moment. Then you'd have, an, he put it all together in new heavens and a new earth, because God can do that. So the Colossian force speaks about all things being held together by Yeshua, by Jesus. And come back to Isaiah chapter 5, verse, chapter 51, verse 6, it says, my righteousness is forever. My righteousness, God's righteousness is forever. He's the one who's holding it together by his power. Everything around us is actually subject to change and decay. In the end, we're all going to die. Or we're going to be taken in the rapture, which would be better. But either way, we're going to leave this body. Uh, him, abide with me, says, change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, abide with me. According to the Bible, if we who are created mortal beings can link up our transitory bodies with his eternal body, as we're passing through this life, we link up with the God, our creator, who is immortal and eternal, then we have eternal life in him. So that's why it's very important that while we're in this body, while we're parrying through this life, that we make contact with the God who made us. And we can do that through Jesus the Messiah. Now Isaiah had an inkling of this in the prophecies he gave in the, in the, the Messiah, especially Isaiah 53. 
But we have much more of a revelation of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah in the New Testament. Have clear teaching which tells us that if we believe in him, we have everlasting life. How about this from John 5? Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. Shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live. As the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son to have life in himself. He has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Can of myself do nothing, as I hear I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. So everyone who hears Jesus' word and believes in him has everlasting life. So if you have that life now, then that life is your guarantee what's going to come in the world to come. And in John chapter 11, Jesus made it clear when he was speaking to Martha at the time of uh, the death of Lazarus, his resurrection, John chapter 11, verse 21, says, Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died, but now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Praise God, we have a much greater revelation than is there in the Hebrew Scriptures. We have the revelation of Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. But it is there in the Hebrew Scriptures because Isaiah is pointing us to the fulfillment of this in Jesus the Messiah. And because of this, we can know that God is greater than everything which is made, and particularly everything which is opposed to him. Coming back to Isaiah verse 7, this passage, he says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my Lord. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the mouth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness is forever, my salvation from generation to generation. So don't be afraid of all the people out there who mock and who condemn and who ridicule Christianity and those who fight against it and those who persecute the church because they're going to be burned up. They're going to be as nothing. But those who are believers in Jesus are going to be with him forever. They'll perish like a moth eating up a garment. But my righteousness is forever. My salvation from generation to generation. So if you believe that, then you have something which is eternal, which can't be taken away from you. Something which is sure because it's not given to you by your own good deeds, but by your faith in what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And Isaiah is giving you some intimation of this. My salvation is from generation to generation. Again, my salvation is my Yeshua. So my Yeshua is from generation to generation. Here we are, I don't know how many generations after Isaiah, but we're believing his word and we're believing in the Messiah of whom he spoke perhaps 2,700 years ago when he said these things. So don't be afraid of men who are about to perish. Don't be afraid of the present evil in the world. It's going to get worse as we get nearer to the second coming of Jesus. 
But when Jesus comes again, he's going to zap it in a moment and it'll all be over. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God, of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Coming back to Isaiah, he says now, Awake, awake, verse 9, put on strength, O arm of the Lord, awake as in ancient days in the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? <clears throat> the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent. So what does that mean? Uh, Rahab uh, actually means pride. And ever since the Garden of Eden, pride has been associated with the serpent, who is Satan, and the serpent is also associated with Satan. So actually you have here a reference which applies to Satan, and it speaks in poetic terms of God's victory over Satan, as also it does in Psalm 89, where it says, you've broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You've scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. Now, we talked a bit about the human opposition to God, but behind all the human opposition to God is Satan, who exists. Some people try and say that that's just a figment of people's imagination. But the Bible tells us very clearly that there is someone who is a, a power, organizing the power of evil, who is the devil, with a multitude of demons under his authority. The Bible says he has sinned from the beginning. He's called a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Jesus called him the God of this world. But he also said that he is a defeated foe. And when Jesus won his victory at the cross, when he said it is finished, he didn't mean just that his life was finished. He meant that the job of paying the price for the sin of the world was finished and that Satan was now defeated because Jesus had paid the price and Jesus was going to rise again on the third day to bring the victory to all those who believe in him. So we should be, as it says in Peter, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary goes around, your adversary, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion whom resists steadfast in the faith. He does exist, but he's defeated. He's stronger than you are, but if you believe in Jesus, you're believing in someone who's stronger than he is. So put on the armor of God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Okay, verse 10 goes on to speak about the Exodus and God's amazing victory over Egypt. One could say also that Rahab, the name, has a connection with Egypt. In Isaiah chapter 30, verse 7, it says, The Egyptians shall help in vain and to no purpose, therefore I have called her Rahab hem Shevet, which means Rahab who sits still. So God actually does connect Rahab also with the land of Egypt. And if you look at verse 11, 10, sorry, you're clearly seeing a reference to the exodus from Egypt. One who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over. Reference again to a historical fact which people of Israel will be aware of as they'd remember the exodus from Egypt, the great event which delivered them from slavery and made them into a nation before the Lord and brought them out of Egypt into on the way to the promised land. And Isaiah refers to this because he's telling the Jewish people that they're going to go back from another captivity, from a captivity in Babylon. And in verse 11 it says, So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Reference to the coming return of the Jewish people from Babylon, which was about to take place. 
And he's telling them there, believe, have faith. You're going to go back. You're going to go back with singing, with everlasting joy on your heads and obtain joy and gladness. So he concludes then in the passage we've read with words of comfort. I, even I, verse 12, I, even I am he who comforts you. Who are you to, you should be afraid of a man who will die and of a son of man who will be like grass? Did you forget the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth? You fear continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor. And where is the fury of the oppressor? And he goes on in verse 10, 15. I am the Lord, your God, who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. I put my words in your mouth. I've covered you with the shadow of my hand. that may plant the heavens, lay the foundations of the earth, and say to Zion, you are my people. Briefly, just to sum up there, there are words of comfort. Don't be afraid of mere men who will die and be thrown away like the grass. So don't be afraid of man. Don't be afraid of their faces. Don't forget your maker who is eternal, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And remember also that the Lord has done miracles in the past for your people. He's the same God who can do miracles for you. Applying this to the Jews coming out of Babylon. But he can also apply it to you and I. He's done miracles in the past. He can do miracles. He can answer your prayers. He's the God who's given you his word. His word is eternal. He can put his words into your mouth. So his word, which is an eternal word, is the word which can give you eternal life. And he calls Zion my people. And he calls you and me my people as well when we come to him on his terms. So reasons why we should be comforted and helped. And if this is true of the people of God living under the former covenant, how much more true is it to those who are now living under the new covenant through to the blood of the Messiah, of Yeshua, our creator, our redeemer, and our judge? For all these things which Isaiah promises here to Israel, great and wonderful promises, he's making even more great and wonderful promises to those who believe in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus the Messiah is the one who can bring us into this new covenant. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, says, Messiah has come as the high priest of good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and Cars, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and the goats and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. The eternal inheritance is there. It's a promise which is made to you. It's available through Jesus the Messiah. Going on in verse 22, he says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Therefore, it is necessary that the things, copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Messiah has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another, 
He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As it is appointed to man to die once, but after this, the judgment, so Messiah was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time, apart from sin, for salvation. It all comes round to Jesus. He's the one who's paid the price. He's the one who's made the sacrifice in our place. And as it is appointed to men to die once, all of us are going to die, whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. Uh, unless you're taken in the rapture. But as I often say, the rapture itself is a form of death anyway, because you're taken out of this body into a new body. Uh, so none of us are going to remain in this body forever. And one bit of not so good news, it says, after this, the judgment. We're going to stand before God on the day of judgment. How are we going to stand on the day of judgment? You're going to point to all the good things you've done, all the times you came to Bridge Lane Christian Fellowship, uh, uh, any things which you can put to credit. Well, you can do that. But actually what you want to do is to say that what I really did, which was good, was I repented of my sins and I believed in Jesus, the Messiah. And because I've done that, I have my entrance into heaven. And nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Messiah Jesus, our Lord. So it's based upon what he has done for us, not what we have done, what we have done for him. And all of the law and the prophets point to this. And Jesus said that he come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So we can look to Jesus. Began by saying how Isaiah tells people to look to Abraham, the one from whom you were taken the father of your faith. We can look to Abraham as an example, as a father of faith, but we look also to Yeshua, and more importantly, we look to Jesus, the Messiah, who's the one who's given us the faith that we have. Hebrews chapter 12, just close with this scripture. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Praise the Lord, Jesus has done it all. And through him we can not just go back to a promised land as Israel was doing, which was great, but we can look forward to a promised land forever in the new heavens and the new earth with Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. And he's finished our faith. He's the author, the one who's given us our faith, and also the one who's finished it. And he's done it by enduring the cross, dying for us and rising from the dead to give us eternal life. So believe on the Lord, Yeshua, the Messiah, and know that you have eternal life and a glorious future before you. And no matter how dark this world gets, and I can't promise you it's going to get better, but I can probably assure you it's going to get worse, you have a <coughs> wonderful, blessed hope in Jesus the Messiah. And share that hope with others because others who don't know Jesus need to know the way of salvation through faith in him. Amen. Let's just have a word of prayer and we'll sing our final hymn. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope we have in Jesus the Messiah. <coughs> thank you that you've made a way for us to come into your presence <coughs> through the blood that you shed for us. As we read this great passage which speaks about your faithfulness to your people Israel, we know that you are also faithful to your people who have believed in Jesus the Messiah. And we thank you also that Isaiah 
and Abraham look forward to your day and that we can look back to it and have faith in you that we have eternal life through faith in you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.